Are you ready to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling author Steph Green, for the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast, where we're going to explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hello authors, and welcome back to another episode of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. I am your host, Steph Green, and today I thought we would talk about something that you guys have been asking me to talk about for a little bit, and that is how to succeed as a self-publisher in a very competitive genre. Now, we talk a lot about genre and about um, commercial fiction and genre fiction and things like that here on the podcast. We talk about that all the time. And the reason for that largely is that in self-publishing, the people that are reading self-published books are largely genre fiction readers. Now, go sort of... Go back, go go back a bit, um, and kind of talk about this in, in sort of the wider context of things first before we dig into the topic because I think it's really important to kind of understand this. When we talk about self-publishing, basically, so we're talking about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Now, when you are thinking about becoming a self-publisher, you're thinking about, well, I'm going to go where where my readers are, so where are my readers? So we want to talk about who are the people who are reading self-published books. Now, this depends on a few things, because you know, when we're talking about readers, we've got to think about you know, how do readers buy books, how do they read books, how do they consume books, and the answer varies depending on the genre and the reading habits of the reader. So, here's the thing. People who buy, who, who are very concerned about who published the book, those tend to be literary fiction readers. So these people, they read, they tend to read fewer books in a year. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about how they love reading, but, um, you know, their sort of concept of reading a lot of books might be reading a few books a month. And they read predominantly literary fiction, and they get their book recommendations from, say, um, reviews in specific publications. Um, they might, you know, go to bookshops and look at the sort of the bookshop recommendations within the bookshop, or talk to a bookseller. Um, they will read reviews in the paper, um, they'll get recommendations from friends who read similar genres. They're, they're often quite connected to the literary scene. Um, so they might they might purchase books from hearing authors talk, either online or um, at like writers' festival events. So and, and those are readers who they you know, may know certain publishers by name. Um, they may, you know, actually like follow a publisher and go, "Oh, these guys are putting out this book. It sounds really interesting. I'm going to read that." So that's one type of reader. And another type of reader is um, what we call, you know, is, is a genre fiction reader. So genre fiction or commercial fiction is the biggest fiction market. 
it's significantly larger than the um, the literary fiction market by a country mile. When people read fiction, generally what they're reading is genre fiction, and genre fiction is fantasy, science fiction, romance, thrillers, crime, mystery, westerns, historicals, etc., etc., women's fiction. Um, so these are all genre fiction. And the readers who read genre fiction, they, I find, feel like they tend to fall in a few different categories. There are people who don't read heaps, um, but they do love to sit down with a good bestseller every now and then. They want something that is going to really deliver, um, and they, they're often... You know, if, if a book's been talked about in the media a lot, they kind of want to know what the big deal is. So these are the people who, you know, they may not read, they may only read a couple of books a year, but they're going to pick up the bloody latest Dan Brown book, you know, when they see it in the airport bookstore. That's these kind of readers. Um, and, and these readers, they tend to, I think, really get their books in paperback. Um, they might get them from the library. Um, or from a bookstore that tends to be that market. And they, they tend to go for bestsellers um, or books that are uh, in the media a lot, maybe because they have a TV show or something that's been made out of them. So that, that's that's a certain type of reader. And you've got another type of reader, um, and we often call these whale readers because they, <laughs> they kind of open their mouth and <laughs> consume all the books like the little planktons in the sea. And that's quite wonderful. So a whale reader is um, they have a certain genre or certain subgenre that they tend to follow. We as authors, we find this kind of hard to understand because we tend to read quite widely. Um, like when I talk about my own reading habits, you know, I write romance, but probably 10 or 20% of what I read is actually romance. The rest is psychological thrillers, horror novels, a lot of non-fiction, especially like biographies and true crime. Um, I read a lot of literary fiction, a lot of sort of like Victorian gothic novels and penny dreadfuls. That's my kind of jam. I read a lot of poetry, you know, so I read very, very widely. Um, but I am an author. And when readers talk about reading very widely, they often mean something different. Like I often have readers who tell me, oh, I, you know, I read so widely. I read contemporary romance and I read paranormal romance and sometimes I even read historical romance and that is a very different definition of reading widely. So these whale readers they tend to have one genre and they stick pretty narrowly to that genre um, and they want all of the books within the, that genre. Some of these readers they will read a book a day, um, maybe even two books a day um, they'll be reading several books a week. Um, they consume books. It, they're amazing. And these are amazing people to have as your readers. Um, because when they love books, they will, you know, when they love books, especially when they love a series, they will devour everything. They'll become mega fans. They'll tell all their other whale reader friends about it. So they're awesome. And obviously, before the invention of the Kindle, and the e-reader, these readers would have to somehow sate this need for several books a day. So they tended to be big library users, 
um, secondhand bookshop users, um, and they tend to go for the cheaper sort of trade. Tend to go for the cheaper sort of trade paperbacks, and even sort of kind of online options like you know, like the Harlequin Mills and Boone book club that used to be around. Um, it's because they needed to, you know, get all these books on the budget. And we all know that paperback books and hardback books can be quite expensive sometimes. But now, because we have e-readers and we have the ability to read books on our phones, these readers can read all the books they want in the world and for, for very little outlay each month because instead of paying $20 or $30 for a paperback, they might be paying $4 for an e-book. So they can read so much more. And this is one reason why these readers tend to love digital. And a lot of these readers, they, they don't give a shit who publishes a book. As long as they get an engaging story, um, they do not care whether the book comes from a publisher or whether the book is self-published. That's not... The distinction is only important to us as authors. It's not important to them at all in the slightest. And these readers tend to be overwhelmingly, they love digital these days. And so the digital self-published book market is dominated by these genre fiction markets, these, um, these whale readers, for exactly this reason. Um, so what this means is that you as a self-publisher, if you are wanting to be successful, one of the, the best ways to do that is to look at, well, who's reading these books and how are they reading them? And the answer is, well, it would be good to publish digitally, to, you know, look at digital as your, and, and e-books as your sort of first product and look at things like paperbacks and audiobooks and stuff like that as your, well, it, you know, as kind of subsidiary to that. So e-books are your first product you're writing commercial fiction to appeal to these types of readers. Now there are other markets in self-publishing where authors can do well, but this is the main sort of area, and I am talking predominantly about fiction here because that's really mainly what I write. Um, and so that's, that's where I have authority to talk about. Um, so basically what, basically what I'm saying is that to give yourself the best chance of success in self-publishing, you uh, tend to be writing in one of these commercial fiction genres and you're focusing on ebooks. And you're sort of not trying to compete with trade publishers and bookstores. Um, so you're not like, I don't spend any time worrying about how do I get my books into bookstores? Because one day I might be big enough that that is a thing that will actually happen. But until that day, I'm going to focus on where my readers are, and my readers are on Amazon in Kindle Unlimited reading ebooks. So I don't care about that, I won't waste any time. Um, so basically, that's what I'm trying to say. So the question then becomes, which comes back to the topic of today's podcast, the question then becomes, well, say I'm writing in one of these big commercial fiction genres. I'm a fantasy writer, I'm a romance writer, I'm a crime or mystery writer. How do I succeed? 
because yes, there are lots and lots and lots of hungry readers in these genres, but there are also a lots and lots of authors. There are more people self-publishing than ever. It's easier than ever to get your books out. These books, you know, unlike, unlike the dim dark ages of 20 years ago, where a book would be published in paperback, and then at some point it would go out of print, um, and you couldn't get it anymore. Unlike those days, ebooks are forever, unless you decide to, to take them down. Ebooks are forever. So this means that there are just there's just so many books, just just infinite numbers of books out there. So how do you stand out in in these highly competitive genres? And how do you create a successful career? And this is something I'm really interested in because obviously I write um, paranormal and contemporary romance, and romance is the biggest fiction genre. It accounts for around 30% of the entire fiction market worldwide, and it's likely even more than that. It's just that there are sort of issues kind of counting self-published books. Um, so it is, the, it is the biggest, and this means it has the most readers, but it means it's also the most competitive. So how do you, if you are starting afresh in a highly competitive genre, how do you give yourself the best chance of success? That's an interesting question. And I've kind of thought of a few things, and we're just going to discuss them, and it's going to be a bit wobbly-wobbly, but we'll see how we go. So I think the first thing that I think of when I think about this is I think that you need to have a distinct brand and a distinct voice within this genre. And to me, I think this is probably the most important thing, and I think this is the thing I would give the most thought to. Um, either before you start publishing, or as you're publishing your first few books and you're starting to see, well, this one did better than this one, and all this is interesting, and sort of discovering what you, as an author, enjoy writing and where your voice kind of sits. And so the reason I think this is really important is that what you're what you're effectively trying to do is you're trying to attract some readers to you and you're trying to keep those readers hanging around. Now, if I'm a reader and I read a couple of books a day, I am going to forget about authors a lot. I'm going to finish a book and I'm going to go, oh, that was a fine book. And then I'm going to move on to the next book in my like towering to-be-read pile. And I may forget who wrote that, that that last book that I read? Especially if, you know, say that was an enemies to lovers book or a second chance romance book. And I am on a massive second chance romance binge. <laughs> and I have read 50 second chance romance books back to back. I am not going to be able to remember one from the other. However, if it's an author who's voice stands out, who's doing something a little bit, uh, you know, who's doing something that still hits those tropes that I'm really excited about, but who's doing something a little bit different, who stands out a little bit within those 50 books I've just read. And I think, gosh, I'd really like another book like that, with that sort of distinction. And I go to look at those that author's other books, and I see that 
I have many choices and they're all they all give me that little extra oomph whatever it is whatever it is that little extra oomph then I'm likely I'm more likely to remember who that author is I'm more likely to to go through and read more of their books I'm more likely to continue with this series so and I'm more likely to tell other people about them um, and I want to tell you a little bit about um, a friend of mine who I think does this really really well um, and her name is Bea Page and she writes um, dark dark new adult romance which is a probably at the moment one of the most competitive um, genres within you know areas within romance um, and at the moment there's a big sort of trend for um, quite dark um, what they call academy romances or bully romances where it's a, a it's a romance that's set in high school and it's an enemies to lovers um, story so it's the enemies to lovers trope um, but it's got a bit of power dynamics so usually there is a heroine who is in some way less powerful than the men in her life who may be acting in the beginning like her bullies or something like that um, and so these books are like a dime a dozen and the readers love them and it's amazing but how do you stand out if you're writing one of these well Bea she she did a series called the Academy of Stardom and the Academy of Stardom it was it took all the basic tropes of the of the genre but it put them inside a, a dance school and so it kind of took all the things that you love about like dancing with the stars and all those kind of like dance competition kind of programs that are really big right now and it put them in with this this bully romance thing and it's it's quite a, it's quite a dark gritty series and so that was one genius thing that she did um, and what she's also done is all her books are connected in some way so she's got different series but they're all set in the same part of the world so the same city they all have a lot of characters that cross over they all have some very similar vibe they're very gritty they're very kind of streetwise sort of <laughs> that's the best way I could describe it um, and so you sort of come out the end of Academy of Stardom and you think well yeah I would really like some more books like this and you go to her catalogue and so it creates this you know I know who she is because she stood out but she also gave me all of the tropes that I love and because I know I love her voice I want more books and so I think it's important to sort of think about where that is you know where you sit and what's your thing that makes you a little bit make makes you stand out a little bit but not too much because you don't want to you don't want to be like well I'm going to throw all these tropes out the window or I'm going to reverse all the tropes or turn them all in their heads no you want to give the you want to give the readers the, the tropes the the butter that they love to smear all over their books <laughs> you want to give them that um, and this is this is very hard to do um, it, it's very hard to get right it's very hard to kind of understand um, and 
I think a lot of this comes from writing books and putting them out there and then looking at the results and figuring out what, you know, this was really successful and breaking it down, why was it successful? This was a flop, breaking it down, why was it a flop? And what you're always asking yourself is, did I hit the tropes? Um, and you're asking yourself, did I give them something a little bit extra that they loved? Or did I give them something a little bit extra that turned them off? And I think that's, I think this is the key. When you find out what that little bit extra that they love is, you just do that again and again and again and again and again. And you make that your thing. So I think that is probably, to me, that's sort of the the star factor, the wow factor. That is the kind of the key, I think, to being successful in a competitive genre. And the thing is, is that this is going to take you, this is not going to come to you in your first book. This is going to come over time. You're going to figure this out. Um, so what can you do in the meantime? While you are figuring out what your what your wow factor is, there are a few other things you can do. I think it's very important if you're in a competitive genre, especially if you're in a competitive space within that genre, is you pay a very close attention to what's being published and the, the trends in that space. And I think there are two reasons for this. One is that if you can hit a book perfectly on a trend, at exactly the right time, <laughs> then you will build an audience very quickly. And that audience may be quite fickle, because um, readers who chase trends, they tend to be more into the trend than they are into a specific author. But if you if you love writing a trend, and a trend sticks around, and you, you can expand a world to kind of <laughs> take advantage of a trend for a long time, um, then the trend could become, it, it literally could become your star factor. Um, and you know trends tend to grow out of more evergreen tropes. So if you can kind of get that, if you get the tropes right, then you can, you know, when a trend is over, you can continue with those same tropes in a different way and kind of pivot that audience into more evergreen books. So I think it's important to, to pay quite close attention to the the charts in your genre in pay close attention to the trends and you know what's selling in the charts in your genre I would be you know I tend to look at the I have a little hunt around Amazon every at least once at least every month um, usually a couple of times a month and that just that just gives me a little you know it, it just gives me knowledge of you know what's going on and you know I think being informed is is good. It's good for your career, it's good for your strategy, and it's especially good if you're in a genre where things move very fast and readers you know, are very responsive to trends. I think this is really important. Um, also, if you can publish faster, this may be a competitive advantage to you. In a competitive genre, having competitive advantages is is good. That's what you want. You want to figure out what your competitive advantages are. And one competitive advantage um, that self-publishers take advantage of a lot is the ability to write fast. 
So this can often come into play with the whole trend thing, because if you can write a book in, a, in one to two months, then that gives you, that means you've got the ability to pivot really quickly and put out a super trendy book right when a trend is kind of cresting. And that's, that's a competitive advantage. Now, being able to write fast is not the only competitive advantage that you can have. There are many others. For example, if you have the skills to create your own book covers, um, and you can create really strong, really to-market book covers, then that is a competitive advantage. I have this amazing friend who makes book covers, so she's got that design ability. And what that means is that she can recover her books, and she, and she does this, about every six months. And that may seem insane. And I, who has no graphics ability whatsoever, cannot do that. But she can, and it means she can respond really quickly to sort of new trends. It means she can try different branding and see where her, where her books are going to fit a bit better in branding. Um, it means that her releases don't cost as much upfront to release. Um, and her ongoing, ongoing branding doesn't cost as much upfront. And that, that's an incredible skill. Skill set. So that is an incredible competitive advantage, being able to do that. Um, there are some people who can put out incredibly clean copy without um, having to have editors. That's a competitive advantage. Um, there are so many different, there are people who have really good skills with ads. That's a competitive advantage. There are so many competitive advantages, but, and, and figuring out what yours are and how you can build a strategy that takes advantage of those, that, that is going to be a big for you in a competitive genre. And this is something I talk about. If you ever do a strategy session or ongoing mentoring with me, this is something we talk about a lot, is figuring out what your, um, what your competitive advantages are and building that into your strategy. And that's awesome. So this is really important. Another thing... Um, and that I think is very important and, and very important to get right from the beginning um, as you figure out what your kind of wow factor is, is that your branding and your packaging have to be spot on. Readers have so many choices in these genres. They do not have to read your book. They are not short on choices. Um, and so especially if you're... If you're not writing books which are as part of a trend, and I'll just, I'm just going to do a little aside, we'll just talk about this. The reason a lot of writers jump on trends is because in the beginning of a trend, readers are begging for a certain kind of tropes, certain tropes and kind of universal fantasies and, and a, certain, a certain thing done in a certain way. And there are not enough books out there that satisfy their need for this certain thing done in a certain way. And so anytime a new book comes out that satisfies <laughs> this certain thing done in a certain way, they're going to snap it up. And what happens is, um, is that that happens and then the readers, more and more readers talk about it and they perhaps organize themselves into groups where they start talking about this awesome thing done in a certain way and more and more authors write these books. And at some point there's a saturation factor where readers have more choices than they have time to read the books. And at that point, 
it starts to become more competitive to actually get your book read. But in the beginning of a trend, basically you kind of get away. <laughs> you can kind of get away with not having a perfect book because the readers have to read your book because there's not that many options. So that is why seeing trends can be really useful because it can give you a leg up in terms of visibility. Um, but, um, but most of the time you're not going to, we're not going to build a strategy based on responding to trends because you may not be able to respond to every trend that you see, you may not see trends in time, um, you may not have the skills to be able to do that. So we don't build strategies based on that, but it's still good to look and see because you never know. <laughs> you never know when things are just going to magically meet up. Um, so, most of the time, you are going to be competing um, for, uh, you know, for books where you've used popular tropes. Have you used popular tropes? You should be doing that. Do that. Um, you're competing against a whole bunch of other books that have exactly the same tropes. You know, fake marriage with a billionaire, kidnapped by the mafia boss, this kind, you know, this kind of thing. There's a gazillion books out there. So your book, you're going to have to package your book amazingly because there are lots of readers that love those tropes, but they are not going to pick up an inferior looking book because they can just go to the next one. There are so many superior books out there, they will not pick up an inferior book. So it is very important that your cover is on fire. It is very important that your blurb is tight. Is tight. Is going to be tight. Um, it is very important that your title is not inadvertently turning people off by being like too obscure or you know just just wrong for the series. You got to get this right, um, and basically this is the only way. You know when when people talk about when writers come on forums and they go, well, I'm not doing very well, I'm not succeeding, I, you know, I'm writing in a popular genre and I'm getting this right and this right and things aren't, you, you know, things aren't happening and what's wrong? 99% of the time, what's wrong is that the covers suck and the blurbs suck. And it may also be that the books suck too. I don't think so, but it may also be. But the problem is, is that you're never going to get to find that out. <laughs> If you don't get the covers right or the blurbs right because people aren't going to read the books. Readers are just going to be like, eh, that looks kind of boring and they're going to go on to the next awesome book. So you, you've got to get that right. And unfortunately, sometimes that means spending money on nice covers. Um, sometimes that means taking a lot of time to learn how to write good blurbs. But that's, that's how you do it. Other things succeeding in a competitive genre. It becomes very important to A, remind readers that you exist, and B, to try and push them through your other books. For competitive genres and for a long-term sustainable career, sell through between different books in a series and sell-through between different series becomes vital here. And there are lots of little tricks that you can use to kind of improve sell-through. 
and I have talked about this on many many podcast episodes and we're not going to go into it in depth here but what I'm going to tell you is that sort of creating yourself a project to see if you could improve sell-through on a series by 5% or if you could improve sell-through between series by 5%. If you're in a competitive genre and you're talking about lots and lots of readers, that 5% make a hell of a lot of difference. On the same subject, another thing that's going to make a huge difference is getting your readers onto a mailing list. And the reason for this is pretty much purely because of this this whole sell-through thing, is that you want to be able to remind readers that you exist. And that is very easy to do if you have their email. And you can literally send you them an email saying, hey, do you remember me? I exist, and I've got a new book out. Now, readers will also follow you on social media, but the thing about social media is that it changes over time and the visibility will always be getting worse. It tends to not get better. <laughs> um, you know, we were all on fa- you know, we were all on Facebook five years ago. Facebook was the place to be if you were an author and you want to make an author group and you get this all this kind of awesome community going. And now Facebook is terrible. It's so hard to get seen. Um, you know, I po- I've got a group of like 2,000 readers and I post stuff in there and like 20 people see it. It's terrible. Um, now everyone is talking about TikTok. And TikTok is amazing. But it may only be amazing for another six months. And then it may be mediocre for two years. And then it may be terrible. We do not know. But it is not going to get more amazing I don't think (laughs) it's always going to be getting slightly worse Um, it's always going to be getting slightly harder to get visible um, and it's always going to be moving towards a pay-to-play platform that is just reality so you having your own mailing list becomes very important because that doesn't ever stop being useful I like to sort of think about the this as you know writing in these kind of genres as the books themselves they come from the heart like the the emotions and the stories that I tell they uh, I you know I don't sit down and go oh well I suppose that thing is popular at the moment so I'm going to do that um, because if I was doing that I would be writing monster romance right now and I just don't get it so that's not going to happen. Um, no, I sit down and I, you know, I do think about the tropes and things like that, um, you know, that I really enjoy. But I also think about, you know, what are stories that I really want to tell? You know, what, what's a, a lie in the world that I want to expose? You, you know, what, what is the thing that's really important to me? So, you know, I tell stories of my heart, um, but the packaging and the branding and the marketing those are in my head, which means that I don't get, I get emotionally attached to books, but I do not get emotionally attached to covers. So if I've paid $500 for a cover and it's beautiful and it doesn't work, I will change it. Sometimes this is harder than other times, <laughs> but um, that is the attitude that I try to adopt. Books are from the heart, packaging and marketing, that's in the head. So I try to make those kind of decisions as business decisions. And then the final thing I think is that 
Now this applies specifically to, I mean all of this advice kind of applies to people who are trying to earn income from their books. But this one in particular, um, which is that, you know, I think having more of a, like a, a six-figure mindset, I think, is, is quite important. And this sort of comes back to this books are in your heart, but packaging's in your head thing. If a cover's not working, these sort of smaller mindset is to, you know, go onto a Facebook, you know, the, the, the three-figure author mindset is to go onto a Facebook group and complain and say, like, you know, no one's buying my book, and I just bought this beautiful cover, and no one's buying my book, and I, you know, I think it's because readers, they, you know, they only want, like, the Nora Roberts of the world, and they're not interested in looking at, you know, other authors, and, you know, it's just too hard, and, you know, I'm not, you know, it's the reader's fault. And that I see a lot. And I think that's that's like the, the two or three figure mindset. And the four figure mindset is like, okay, well, I bought this cover and I don't think it's working. And I think I should possibly consider changing it. So, you know, I th maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do that. But should I do that? But, you know, or is it is it wiser to do this other thing, or should I go and write the next book instead, or, you know, what do I do? So, you know, you're starting to think in the right direction, um, but you're still wishy-washy about things, and you, you're still thinking, well, you know, I really liked that cover, um, and, you know, other authors use similar covers, and they did really well. And the six-figure mindset is more like, well, I got this cover and it's still working. So I have already booked a designer uh, to change the covers, and I've come up with a list of ten books um, within my genre, similar tropes with um, with a different style of cover, and I think I'm going to give it a go. And I've come up with a plan on how I'm going to launch them and how I'm going to measure which one performs better. And I think this is really, you know, this is really important. Um, is to sort of think the way that you that you want to go. <laughs> um, and we talk a lot about, you know, a lot of people talk about sort of like fake it till you make it. And in this particular situation, I find fake it till you make it works quite well. Where you, you know, you ask yourself, well, what would insert author whose career you want to emulate. What would they do right now? And when you look at your problem through someone else's eyes, the eyes of the person who's five years further down the track than you are, um, and earning the income that you want to earn, and has the readership you want to have, and when you look at your things through their eyes, sometimes it helps you see the things that you couldn't see when you were looking at them through your own eyes. And so I think that's useful. Well, basically, that's that's what I've come up with. That's how I think that you succeed in a competitive genre. I think that a lot of it comes down to luck, timing, and being a damn good writer. However, I think that if you work really hard, 
if you get their packaging right, if you spend time, you know, honing your craft and writing more books and figuring out who you are and where you sit and what, what kind of corner of this vast world you belong in, because we're not trying to, you know, appeal to every single contemporary reader that's contemporary romance reader or urban fantasy reader that's out there. We just want a sp small specific corner that's going to be ours. So, if you, you know, this comes luck and timing and damn good writing come over time. They come as you publish and, and, <laughs> and fail and succeed and try again. Those things come over time, but you have to build the solid foundation first. And I, I hope that's what I've kind of given you today. So that's today's podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I would be really interested if you wanted to pop on over to the Rage Against the Manuscript Facebook group and you know discuss what it, you know what do you think it takes to succeed in a competitive genre. Um, what do you think it takes to succeed in a non-competitive genre, which is also going to be a topic I'm thinking about covering. <laughs> um, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, and I'm very excited to come back next week and talk about something else to do with publishing. So yeah, that's us. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Have an awesome day and happy publishing.